Well, we are nearing the end of a series called Messy Church. And if you haven't been with us for any of these sermons, let me uh, let you know what we've been talking about. We've been going through the book of Acts, and we've been looking at the first century church. Now, if you don't know about the book of Acts, Acts is short for actions, and Acts is the first book in the New Testament after the Gospels. And so it covers what happens after Jesus died, and after his resurrection, and after his ascension. Maybe you've wondered, like, what happened next This is the 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So we've been going through and looking at that first century church. And one of the things we find out is in that gathering of Jesus' followers, everything was not just cupcakes and unicorns. Like there was some conflict. There were some messes. There was some difficulty. And some of that was just because anytime you get a group of people together with different personalities, you're going to have issues. Some of it was a result of just the exponential growth and how quickly the church was growing. Some of it was because of the opposition that they were facing, both from the temple and from the empire. And so, so this is just, uh, what we're doing is just kind of walking through the book of Acts and just kind of pointing out some of the messes and, and how it applies to our lives. Now today we're gonna be in Acts chapter 19, and I highly encourage you to look at this in your own Bibles, and uh, that way you can make sure that I'm preaching truth and you can also see it in your own Bible. By the way, when you came in today, uh, if you're here in person, you received notes. I had a couple people who were like, this is so great. I wish we had notes every week. We do have notes every week. They're back on the Bible shelf back there. And a lot of you just didn't know it or you don't listen to me when I tell you about it. So you can get notes every week by just picking them up off that Bible shelf. How many of you, that's the first time you ever realized that? Anybody? Yeah, just be honest. Yeah, okay. So they're, they're back there and available for you. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Acts chapter 19. The context is this. Paul is, he is coming to the city of Ephesus. Now Ephesus, if you were looking on a map today, it would be in modern day Turkey. And this is almost 2,000 years ago. Paul comes riding into Ephesus. And Paul's mission, his purpose, is to take the gospel or the good news of Jesus to every place, especially places that hadn't heard about Jesus. And so he rolls into Ephesus, and what you'll find in the beginning of of Acts chapter 19 is that he first begins sharing the gospel in the synagogue with the the Jewish community that was there in Ephesus. Well, after a bit of time, they kicked him out. They're like, we don't don't want you speaking this this message of Jesus here in our synagogue. And so, so next he went and he started speaking in a lecture hall. And what we're going to read is kind of, you know, into, about two years into him being in Ephesus. And we're going we're to read some things that I think uh, are practical to us. In fact, as I was reading through this, there were five questions that I was personally challenged with. And these are questions that I want to challenge you with as well. So here's the first question, and then we'll get into Acts 19.11. The first question is this, do I believe that God wants to work through me? Do I believe that God wants to work through me? Let's, let's say it to you. Do you believe that God wants to work through you? And already I think the Holy Spirit's been stirring us with this, if you, especially if you're in the room, you've heard in, in people just speaking through what the Holy Spirit whispered to them or things that Pastor Megan has said. Listen, there's no JV Christianity. You either are or you aren't. You're either in or you're out. There's no half-hearted. There's no lukewarm Christianity. Like, like, here's the thing. I want you to know, if you are a follower of Jesus, God wants to work through you. 
You say, okay, well, where's the scripture? Let, we're going to start in verse 11. And by the way, we're going to read through a bunch of Acts chapter 19. So I like to start and stop and start and stop. And so just get used to it. Verse 11, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. I really like this in the King James Version. It says this, God wrought or he accomplished or he did special miracles by the hands of Paul. And why I really like that is because it's really more uh, actual to the Greek. Here's what's going on is that God is the one who is performing special miracles or supernatural activity, but he chooses to do it, how? Through the hands of Paul. Here's what I want you to get. God is still a supernatural God. God is still wanting to do supernatural things in this generation. But for whatever reason, and I don't quite understand it, as you look through scripture, one of the common threads throughout scripture is that God always uses people. And listen, he doesn't just use people, he uses like the most unlikely people. He uses the people that cause you to scratch your head and go, ooh, I don't know about that, right? Like God, in fact, if you don't believe me, just start reading through scripture, starting in Genesis, and just start reading with that set of lenses, and you'll see it's all over the place. Listen, God could accomplish his mission all by himself. He's God. He's the creator of the universe. He has all power. He has all wisdom. He's everywhere present. He's in time, and he's outside time. Like, he could do it all by himself, but he doesn't do that. He uses you, and he uses me. And I want you to know, God wants to. It is his desire to use you. Teenager in this room, middle school student, high school student, God longs to use you. Retiree who thinks that your life is mostly behind you. I want you to know, God still has a mission for you. He wants to use your hands. Imagine what would happen if you woke up every day And one of the first things that you did in the morning, I mean, definitely get your cup of coffee, right? Need that, right? But if one of the first things that you did in the morning is just gave the Holy Spirit an open invitation, what if you would wake up and say, Holy Spirit, today, I invite you, I welcome you to use me. Use my hands. Use my mouth. Use my feet. Put thoughts in my mind that I know didn't come from me, that are beyond my education, that are beyond my experiences. God, I welcome you. I invite you. Would you use me today? Can I tell you something? If you start doing that every day, I promise you God is going to start doing that. I promise you there will be days where you'll lay your head on the pillow at the end of the day and you'll go, I can't believe God did that. We have a woman in our church who, about a month ago, she was going into the courthouse and there was a lady standing there, it was pouring down rain, and God prompted her to give this lady an umbrella. Just a simple thing, just give her an umbrella, right? Didn't say, you know, share the the five verses from the book of Romans that lead to salvation, right? Just give this person an umbrella, right? And she gave this person an umbrella and she just was kind to her and, and, and along they went. Well, she was telling me the story on a Wednesday at noon, she's telling me the story. And she told me about this umbrella, it was a special umbrella. She told me all about the umbrella. Three hours later, I'm at Speedway helping a guy out who needed gas, and there was a whole long story behind that, and the guy didn't show up, actually, and so, so I'm standing there, and it's pouring down rain again, and I'm standing underneath the eave of Speedway, and there's this lady sitting over there, and I see her umbrella. It's the same exact umbrella that this lady from the church had told me about, and I look over, and I go, that's the same umbrella. I said, ma'am, where'd you get your umbrella? She goes, the nicest lady at the courtyard gave me this umbrella. Do you think God wanted to do something in that lady's life? 
I got to speak to her, spend about 15 minutes talking with her, got to pray with her. Can I tell you, God will use the most ordinary gesture. You'll think it's just a thought. Oh, it was just a thought that came to mind. No, that's the Holy Spirit leading you. And what would happen if you just decided, God, I believe you want to use me. God, I believe that you don't want to just use full-time pastors. You don't want to just use people who have been to Bible school. You don't want to just use people who have been around Christianity for 30 plus years. God, you want to use me. Listen, do you believe that God wants to work through you? Because he does. But you've got to settle that issue. And as long as you're walking through life, and listen, the enemy will lie to you and tell you that you can't be used. Well, Ken, you don't know what I did in my past. You don't know the things I did. You know, there was murderers in the Bible that God used for his kingdom. Well, you don't know the things that I spoke, you know, in the past to other people and how harshly I dealt with them. People like that used in the Bible. God wants to use you. Here's the second question. Am I, well, yeah, let's go to the second question. Second question, am I willing to do whatever it takes? Am I willing to do whatever it takes? I love the very next verse in Acts chapter 19 says this. It says, when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched Paul's skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. I didn't make that up. That's like literally in the Bible, right? When I read this, you know what I immediately think of? I think of the desperation of these people. See, here's what was going on. Paul was speaking in this lecture hall in the evenings, but he was supporting himself through a job. He was a tent manufacturer. And so during the day, he'd be making tents, and there was people that would be so desperate, that the friend who would need healing, a friend who would need a touch from God. And so they would go to, they would go to Paul's workroom, where Paul's there, you know, sweating, and they, they'd steal, like, one of his handkerchiefs, or they would steal, like, a work apron, and they had the faith, they were so desperate to believe that if they could get that apron, if they could get that handkerchief to their loved one who was sick, that God would heal them. Man, what if we had that kind of desperation? It reminds me of the story where, where Jesus is teaching and he's in a, in, a, in a room that is just packed out. I mean, there's no room to get through the doors. There's so many people that are itching to hear the words of Jesus. And, and there's these friends that have, their friend is, is, is crippled and he's been crippled. It's a severe situation. And they just have in their mind, if we could just get our friend to Jesus everything will be different. So they get to the house and there's no way they're gonna get their friend into Jesus. And so they look up and they go, I think that roof will support us. They climb up, this is a residence. This is somebody's home, y'all. Somebody sleeps in this place. And they got up on the roof, made a hole in the roof, had their craftsman band saw up there. I don't know what they're doing. And, and they lower their friend through the roof and Jesus sees him and Jesus touches him. You know what I love? I love the desperation. And the question I feel like the Holy Spirit is asking you and the question he's asking me is am I willing to do whatever it takes? Am I willing to do whatever it takes? Now as a caution, this is the only place in the Bible where this miracle occurs through this method. So the point is not that we're to duplicate how these people receive their miracle, okay? You don't need to be stealing my clothes, y'all, after church, you know, like if I can just get Pastor Ken's shirt or a pair of his socks or whatever. No, we don't need to duplicate how they did this. You know what we need to duplicate? Their desperation. God, I'll do whatever it takes. You know what I am convinced keeps us from seeing a move of God? You can sum it up in one word, it's fear. Fear, what will people think of me? 
And I think some of us, we are just one step of being willing to be seen as foolish away from a move of God. Now, I'm not talking about being weird just to be weird. We all know Christians like that, right? I mean, they're just, they're, they are sold on being weird. I'm not talking about being weird just for the sake of being weird. I'm talking about being willing to look foolish in the eyes of men for the sake of Christ. To do what we believe God has called us to do. Here's a third question. By the way, there's five if you're wondering. Like, how many questions are there? Here's a third one. Is my faith deeper than words and formulas? Is your faith deeper than words and formulas? Very next verse, Acts 19, 13, says a group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Guys, again, we gotta pause, because some of you are going, wait, 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 what's going on here? So you have a group of exorcists, they would, I know it sounds like a joke, right? They, a group of exorcists that would travel around from community to community, and they would advertise, hey, you have any people in your family that are demon-possessed? Well, there is weird Uncle Eddie, you know, so you bring them out, and so, and so they would cast demons out of them, and they had like this whole gig going, and they'd make money off of this, and everything was awesome. Well, they noticed that followers of Jesus were having better success in casting demons out of people because they were casting people, or casting demons, casting people out of demons, no, casting demons out of people in the name of Jesus, right? And so they, they think, well, we can just use these words, we can use these formulas. They, they were using words, they were using formulas, but they didn't know Jesus. And how easy is it in the American church, in the Western church, that we know all the right words, we know all the formulas, we know the lyrics to the songs, we know the Bible stories, we can even have scripture memorized. But my question is, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Has Jesus changed your life? You say, Ken, I don't even know what you mean by that. I mean, have you come to the end of yourself where you have realized, God, I have sinned against you. I am broken, I am helpless, I've rejected you, I've been selfish. God, I need you to come into my life and I need you to forgive me of my sins. God, I need you to be the leader of my life, you to be the master of my life. I wanna go where you want me to go and I wanna say what you want me to say and I wanna do what you wanna do. Would you empower me to actually, actively follow you the rest of my life? There's something happens. that's just the beginning. We believe that this is a journey. We believe that this isn't a one and done, that you pray a prayer and then you go on living life as normal. We believe that you pray this prayer and it so affects you that now it's not just words, it's not just stories that you learned in VBS, that it's something that is deeply transforming you. It's not just information, it's transformation. And God desires this for every person in this room, college student in this room, God desires this for you. Is your faith just words? Is it knowing all the right words? Or is it deeper than that? Here's a fourth question. Do I use the name of Jesus flippantly? Do I use the name of Jesus flippantly? Here, here's the, the very next verse says, seven sons of Sceva. By the way, in the 90s, there was literally a Christian rock band called Seven Sons of Sceva or something to that effect. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. Doing what? They were one of these groups of exorcists going around trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, even though they didn't know Jesus, right? Okay, but one time, this is so funny. 
But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Listen, it's about to get funny, y'all. Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. These demons leap on these people. They rip off their clothes. These fools are running out of the house without their clothes on, y'all. It's crazy, right? The demons are saying, I know Jesus, and I know who Paul is. I don't know who you are. They had the words, listen, they had the words, but they didn't have the power. They had the words, but they didn't have the relationship. What was the result? Verse 17 says, a sense of awe. Uh, did I read that? Yeah. A sense of awe spread throughout the people of Ephesus, and the result was a greater respect and honor of Jesus' name. Listen, God is calling us to reverence. He's calling us to reverence his name. He's calling us to have a respect for his name, for his personhood, for his anointing, for his authority. And listen, we are all, everybody in this room are guilty of using the name of Jesus flippantly. And I don't just mean, you know, usually when we look at this, we, you know, you use the example of, of the guy out in his garage and he hits his thumb with a hammer and he yells out, Jesus Christ. And well, that's treating the name of Jesus flippantly. You know, we can treat the name of Jesus flippantly when we pray prayers, but our minds are a hundred miles away. Someone over there is agreeing with me. So I'll, I'll, I'll be, let me just tell you personally, I mean, I want you to know this stuff affects me. I'm not just preaching down at you. Yesterday, I'm at a wedding and, and uh, you know, beautiful wedding, beautiful ceremony outside. And, and we go in and, and, you know, just, you know, uh, bridal parties out getting pictures and DJs getting things started and having great conversations. And then you hear as a pastor, these are the words that you always go, oh, crap. The DJ just goes, we'd like Pastor Ken to come to the head table and pray over the food, Right. And as a, you, this is just, you know, what, you, as a pastor, you just got, right, you're always ready, right? Some, somebody's going to call you out. And so I go up, and, and I pray over the food, and, and it was just, I'll be honest, I was, I was just performing a function. And I was driving, I had to get to a graduation party afterwards, so I'm driving this graduation party, and I sense the Holy Spirit just speak to me, you weren't praying to me, you were praying to that group. You're praying to that gathering. Listen, every one of us can be guilty of this. But I think what God is calling us to, I do believe the revival's coming. I do believe a move of God is coming. But it's incumbent upon us, every follower of Jesus in this room, to say, you know what? I'm going to have a greater sense of awe and respect for the things of God. So there's this time back in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus' disciples come up to Jesus and they say, hey, you pray on a whole nother level than we've ever prayed. They grew up having prayers memorized. They prayed all the time. They prayed multiple times throughout the day as Jewish young men. They knew how to pray, but there was something about how Jesus prayed. And they said, Jesus, you got to teach us how to pray. And Jesus goes, yeah, it'd be my privilege. I would love to teach you how to pray. And he gives them an outline of how to pray. I use this outline Almost every morning I use this outline. I'm not just talking about, you know, you begin your day, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. You know, some people it's like as quickly as they can spit it out as possible, they can get on with the rest of their day. I, I, I see it as an outline. And so the first, the first part of this outline is our Father who art in heaven, and I love this phrase, hallowed be thy name. 
Like honored be your name, holy be your name, awesome be your name. Your name is reverenced above every other name, right? Like, and here's the thing, it's not like we're praying to God, God, would you be more holy than you are right now? He already is perfectly holy. He is already perfectly awesome. What am I praying? I'm praying, God, would you give me a sense of who you are that I haven't yet had yet? And God, would you cause in how I live and how I act and how I talk and how I react to situations that I don't even see coming, God, would you cause other people to have a greater sense of awe of who you are and to reverence you and to see how holy you are? Man, I, I think that if we will revere the name of Jesus, see, these, these guys, they had heard it, but I hadn't registered and they were treating the name of Jesus flippantly. Here's the fifth and final question. Has my belief in Jesus led to actual change? Has my belief in Jesus led to actual change? Look at the next verse, verse 18. Many who had become believers confessed their sinful practices. They'd become believers, they prayed, you know, Jesus, I receive your grace, I receive your forgiveness, you know, I want, you, I want to do what you want me to do. They, they'd become believers, and now as they become believers, they have a truth confrontation. They're confronted with the truth of God's word, and they begin to recognize there are things in my life that don't align with the truth of God's word, and so there's a truth confrontation, and what it results in is, I've got to confess this thing. This isn't of God, the way I've been living, the way I've been thinking, the way I've been doing, the things that I haven't been doing that God wants me to do. I've been selfish and I haven't been doing those things and, and so they begin to confess their sin. And, and again, a move of God begins to come through them just going, you know, I, okay, here's a truth confrontation, but this is, I need to confess this. This isn't pleasing to you. And look at what happens next in verse 19. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery, brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. And the value of the books was several million dollars. See, they have a truth confrontation. The truth confrontation leads to a confession, but it doesn't just stop at confession. The confession leads to radical action. I'm not going to keep doing things the way that I've been doing them. I'm not going to keep acting the way I've been acting. Like, I'm out of alignment with God's word. I'm going to radically change some things. And truth be told, I think every one of us, there are areas in our life that God is saying, hey, here's the truth. And the question is, will you confess it? But then will you take a step beyond confession? Will you act in a radical way? See, Ephesus was a center for the practice of magic arts and casting spells. And so it makes sense that most of these believers in Jesus had previously been exposed to or themselves had practiced sorcery. And can I tell you, this stuff is real, okay? It's not just Hollywood. There is a reality of spiritual darkness. There is a reality of magic. There's a reality of, of, of spell casting, and I just wanna, I wanna make sure that everyone in this room is clear. Middle school students, high school students, retirees, listen in for a second. Fortune telling, astrology, crystals, horoscopes, seances, they are wrong, and not only are they wrong, they are anti-Christ. Casting spells is not a joke, it is anti-Christ. And followers of Jesus should have nothing to do with these things. 
We shouldn't play with, we shouldn't flirt with darkness. I want to say this, and I want you to listen to me. Jesus is the only supernatural authority that you should seek in your life. Trying to make anything else supernatural is wrong. Trying to remove energy or spirits from your home with anything but Jesus is wrong. Maybe you didn't know that, but this is a truth confrontation to say, you know what, I need to stop dabbling in that. Follower of Jesus, you won't have the effectiveness, you won't have the depth of relationship with Jesus until you remove these things. These Ephesian Christians were so convicted by the lack of holiness in their lives that they not only confessed their sins, they literally went home, gathered everything that might keep them from Christ, then came back together and had a great big bonfire and burned that stuff. And I'm not making this stuff up. The value of what they burned was incredible. Translated to our economy, it would be at least $5 million worth of stuff that was burned. That's radical. That's radical. Now, the practical people in this room, those of you who, who are in charge of the finances in your home, right now you're going, couldn't they have just sold that stuff on eBay? <laughs> right? That could, have really, that could have been a really big BGMC offering, right? Listen, there are some things that you sh don't need to take to share and care. You just need to destroy it. You need to get rid of it. You say, why? why is it that big of a deal? Because it's keeping you from Christ. It is a hindrance. More than you know, more than you realize, it is keeping you from Christ. Now, can I tell you, this is messy. Okay, I was talking, talking to a couple friends after the first service, and here's what some of you all would like. Some of you would like for Pastor Ken tomorrow to type up a Word document and just give you a list of everything that you need to get rid of in your house. I, I'm not going to do that. Because the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And if you will seek him, and if you will ask him, he will begin to reveal to you the things that you need to get rid of. And usually it starts with a discomfort. Maybe there's something in your home and someone gave it to you, a relative gave it to you. You don't even know what it is, but it's kind of like artwork and, and so you got it in your home and every time you walk by there, or at least recently, or times where you try to press into Jesus, you walk by there and it just gives you the heebie-jeebies. It just gives you, like you don't even know how to describe the, and you just go, man, I, there's something weird about that. I'm sorry, just get rid of it. Well, won't Aunt Edna get her feelings hurt? She might. She might. Now, again, this is messy, and it's up to each individual. And I'll tell you, in our generation, honestly, a lot of this probably isn't things that you can touch and see and throw into a, a barrel of fire. For a lot of us, this is digital. It's an app. It's an app on your Roku. It's a subscription that you pay for. It, it is it's something that, that you, you can't touch and feel, but there's conviction that the Holy Spirit will bring to you. And you need to lean into that conviction. When something doesn't feel right, everything inside of you will be like, well, it's not really that big of a deal. You know what's going on right now? It's a spiritual confrontation that is happening. And you'll want to excuse it away. Listen, I experienced this. So a couple months ago, Carrie and I were watching, a, a, we were binge watching a, a show, a comedy, and uh, man, watch the first season. It was funny. I'm telling y'all, I had people afterward asking me, what was it? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you. So I'll just tell you right now, I'm not going to tell you what it was, but we're watching because I don't, my convictions aren't your convictions. You need the Holy Spirit to convict you. 
So we're binge watching this in the first season. I mean, it's funny. And, and we, get to, we get to the second season, and there's just something off. Like, and, and then it became very apparent that it was off. It wasn't just like, oh, I think this is off. You're like, this is off. And we, 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 we stopped watching it. And here, here was a greater challenge was about a month later going, you know, we just need to cut Netflix out. Listen, okay, I got to be really careful right now. I'm not telling everyone to go home and get rid of your Netflix. I'm saying for Carrie and I, there reached a point where we said, you know what, for us and for our family, this is something, it's not helping us in our relationship with Jesus. It's not helping us in our relationships with each other and in our relationship with our kids and our kids' relationship with us. We just need to, maybe not even forever, we might get it back in, sometime in the fall or next year, but for us, it was, we just need to get rid of this. Listen, again, I gotta be, I don't, this is messy. <laughs> And everyone, you want things to be black and white. You want the list. I'm not giving you a list. I'm just saying, for you, you've got to determine, is there something in your life, is there something in your family that you need to cut out because it is hindering you, it is keeping you from Christ? I, okay, I think I've beat that drum long enough. Has your belief in Jesus led to change? Could an outside, someone who has known you, has seen you, as you devoted yourself to Christ... As you stepped over the line and said, you know what, I'm not playing around anymore. I'm not a part-time follower of Jesus. I'm a full-time follower of Jesus. Like, I'm all in. As you stepped over that line, are people seeing a difference in your life? And again, it's a personal conviction. You don't go around telling everybody that they need to do it. It's a conviction for yourself. You don't need to walk into a home and go, you have Netflix. <sighs> no. That's a conviction that I have that may not be a conviction that God gives you. And the, the Bible has a whole lot to say about convictions, okay? So it's not, I don't need to go, I don't need to put on Facebook my convictions. Yeah. I just, it's, I'm going to live it. I'm going to get rid of the things God puts to, in, me, in my heart to get rid of. And you do the same, right? And here's the thing. It's supposed to lead us into a further mature relationship with Christ. And what is the result? Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Isn't this what we want? Can I just ask you parents in this room, isn't this what you want for your kids? That the word of the Lord would increase in their lives and that the word of the Lord would prevail and not just prevail, but prevail mightily in their lives? Isn't this what we want for our workplaces? Can you imagine going to work tomorrow morning and working in an environment where the word of the Lord is increasing and it is prevailing mightily? Isn't this what, what we want in this fall when school starts and our middle schools and our high schools and our colleges? Isn't this what we want that the word of God would increase and that it would prevail mightily? Isn't this what we want for our nation? Oh Lord, right? But where does that come from? When you came in this morning, you got, you got your notes, and you have five questions, and you have two columns here. In the left column, it says yes, and the right column, it says no. And I want to give you just a chance just to look through these questions that we talked about today. And I want you to answer honestly. In fact, for you, answering honestly might be that you don't physically get out a pen and, and mark the column. Maybe you just need to go through mentally. Maybe you're afraid of the person who's sitting behind you, the person who's sitting next to you, and they're going to cheese off your paper and look at what you write. And so I get that. Maybe you need to do this later on today. You need to take this home and, 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 and give it a physical response. But let me ask you these questions real quick. Do I believe God wants to work through me? Like, God, do I, do I really believe this? And if I, if I answer no, 
then there's some space there just to ask the question, what would it take to get to a yes? What would it take to get to a yes? Here's the second question. Am I willing to do whatever it takes? Yes or no? Are you willing to look foolish? For not just to be weird, but for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the word of God. Am I willing to do whatever it takes? And if my answer is no, again, what would it take to get me to that place where I'm willing to do whatever God is asking me to do? Third, is my faith deeper than words and formulas? Yes or no? What would it take to get to a yes? Do I use the name of Jesus flippantly? Do I revere his name? Is there a sense of awe about not just his name, his name is his anointing, it's his authority. Fifth, has my belief in Jesus led to actual change? Do I regularly have confession in my life? Can I just speak to you? We should all be confessing things regularly. Because when you pray a sinner's prayer and you ask Jesus to come into your life, you didn't become perfect. Turn to the person next to you and say, you ain't perfect. Okay? God, there's a principle, there's a theological distinction of justification. And yes, when I ask Jesus to come into my life, I am justified in his eyes. In his eyes, I am as if I never sinned. That's justification. But there is this journey called sanctification. And along the way, the Holy Spirit points things out. And he's so gentle and he's so awesome in the fact that he doesn't point out everything all at once. Just when you get to a place where you're like, ooh, I'm free of that. Oh, I'm good. Some of you are laughing because you know what happens next? All of a sudden your eyes are open to a blind spot that you never even saw before. He's so gentle in how he gradually sanctifies you and leads you. And so confession should be a regular part of your life because you ain't perfect. But not just confession, radical action. Radical action. So has your belief in Jesus led to actual change? Yes or no? If you're watching online, I challenge you to do this exercise as well. Because here's the thing, I want the word of God to increase. In every arena of my life, I want the word of God to increase. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we get ready to conclude? With your eyes closed uh, and your heads bowed, I want you to listen for what the Spirit might be saying in this moment of what do you need to do next? What does your response need to be? You don't need to do what I am saying that I've done. You need to do what you need to do. What what is God calling you? What would it look like for you to live a closer relationship with Christ? To more fully, actually, actively follow after Him, not just part-time, but full-time. Father, I pray for your spirit to empower us because some of the things that you're speaking to us seem really difficult. So give us the courage and give us your power to do these things because above all, we want your name and your fame to be established over our lives. That we don't live for ourselves, we live for Christ who died for us, who sacrificed his life for us. We live for you, Jesus. 
Thank you for your power. Thank you for your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.